Support for Kansas City Today comes from Cleveland University, Kansas City. From its roots as a chiropractic college to new degree programs in health sciences, CUKC is educating healthcare professionals focused on next-level health. Learn more at cleveland.edu slash impact. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, August 25th. Coming up, families in the child welfare system in Jackson County are missing court-ordered visits because of a drastic shortage of caseworkers. A new person comes in, they're very excited about the case and working with us, and then all too soon they're quitting or leaving for some other reason. Why foster kids aren't seeing their birth parents for months at a time. Plus, a controversial group of politicians in Missouri has disbanded. What that could mean for the Republican Party and the Missouri legislature. But first, some headlines. A Kansas anti-abortion activist is suing the Secretary of State's office and demanding a statewide hand recount of every race in the August primary. Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service reports. The effort recounted 550,000 ballots in nine Kansas counties and only flipped about 60 votes in what was a landslide defeat for the amendment. Secretary of State Scott Schwab says the small change shows there was no fraud. Anti-abortion activist Mark Geetson helped pay the $120,000 cost of the recount, and he's suing Schwab and representing himself in court. He's citing unproven theories of voter fraud and objecting to a missed recount deadline in Sedgwick County. Geetson wants the statewide recount and a revote in counties that use electronic voting machines. Hospital leaders across the Kansas City metro say there's not enough staff or bed space, but that's not due to COVID-19. KCUR's Noah Taborda reports. COVID-19 case numbers and hospitalization trends are improving, but hospital occupancy levels remain close to those seen during major spikes earlier this year. University of Kansas Health System Chief Medical Officer Stephen Stites said a lack of qualified staff for new bed space is making things worse. We're at a little bit of a precarious tipping point right now in healthcare. It's not COVID right now per se that's doing it, but it's all these things that are come together. Stites said if that remains the case as children return to school and the weather turns colder, hospitals may need to cut services in the future or in some cases even close. A Kansas City Council committee passed the Climate Protection and Resiliency Plan yesterday, and the full city council will vote on the plan today. KCUR's Savannah Hawley reports the committee made changes to allow for the continued use of natural gas. One part of the final draft of the plan provided incentives and recommendations to encourage the eventual end of natural gas use in the city with a focus on clean electricity, a priority for climate activists. But representatives and employees from Spire and restaurant groups opposed those changes and advocated for the continued use of natural gas. Josh Green, a Spire employee from Union 781, said he was concerned about jobs and increased utility costs without gas. I'm worried about union jobs at Spire and those businesses that rely on natural gas and other industries like manufacturing. The committee moved to adopt the plan with changes to the language to include natural gas under the guise of clean energy. The Jackson County Children's Division has far too few social workers to handle the cases of kids in foster care. As a result, birth parents are missing visits with their children for months at a time. KCUR's Laura Ziegler reports many workers left during the pandemic and didn't return, deciding instead to take less stressful and higher-paying jobs. Shayla Kurtz, a 22-year-old with a toddler and a newborn baby, had an on-and-off relationship with her baby's father, but she was trying to make it work. Sitting in a midtown coffee shop, Kurt said she even tried to cover for him when he came to the hospital during her delivery and was verbally abusive. The nurses called the child abuse hotline. 
Kurtz ended up in a domestic violence shelter when she had to leave, investigators from the Jackson County Children's Division came to take her kids into foster care. Like, I was still in between winging her um, off of breastfeeding and in between formula. Like, there was a lot of things that I was trying to get a hold of my caseworker for that needed to be known. The caseworker who showed up at the shelter gave Kurtz her business card, but when Kurtz called to find out where her kids were, the caseworker had left for vacation. She got another caseworker at her court hearing, but that person immediately went on medical leave. She's seen her kids only three times in almost three months. She worries the separation will leave scars. I'm terrified to even, for my daughter not to even, like, recognize me as her mom. I'm scared that my son will resent me, like... There's a lot of things. Rotating caseworkers is a problem Brian West knows and regrets. He's the regional director of the Jackson County Children's Division and says his dwindling staff of 19 case managers are handling almost 900 kids in foster care. Significantly over a caseload that uh, they should have and above what is manageable. It feels like we might be at the lowest we've ever been as far as number of staff. The case managers are the primary liaison between parents and the courts responsible for setting up family visits and monitoring progress toward court-ordered reunification requirements. But Missouri pays child welfare social workers among the lowest in the nation, starting out below $35,000 a year, and the job takes a huge emotional toll. Zoda Ballou recently left her position as a contract social worker to pursue a law degree. She says the hardest part of the caseworker's job may be the secondary trauma from working with troubled, sometimes violent, frequently grieving families. I think for some people that stress is really overwhelming. There, You hear about caseworkers who come to work every day and they're crying. When do you make time to get all the work done? Uh, when do you make time for yourself? Juan Mendez lives with his girlfriend and their 18-month-old baby, Arabella, on a quiet residential street in Independence. In 2018, he was 18 years old with two children and in a bad marriage. The relationship between us was a very toxic one. We were both physical with each other, and, and that's what led to the state getting involved. The kids have been in foster care for almost two years now, and Mendez says he's had six or seven caseworkers over that time, and he's gone as long as four months without seeing his toddlers. A new person comes in, they're very excited about the case and working with us, and then they're quitting or leaving for some other reason. It's been very hard not only keeping contact with these individuals, but reaching them because they're so busy with so many other cases. Family court attorney Lori Snell has been doing child welfare cases for over two decades. She says the worker shortage in Jackson County is at crisis proportions. There's people filling in for people filling in for people. There's nobody to do the work. The director of the Missouri Children's Division told a joint committee of the legislature last December. He was doing his best to, quote, stem the bleeding, but Governor Mike Parson vetoed a $2 $2 million funding increase in the budget, the state Senate refused to take up the House override. Officials say this crisis will continue if there is not higher pay, counseling support for workers, and prevention services to keep kids out of the system in the first place. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Laura Ziegler. A group of Missouri lawmakers known as the Conservative Caucus has broken up. For years, they butted heads with mainstream Republicans in the state house, fighting for issues on their agenda. Missouri Independent Editor-in-Chief Jason Hancock told KCUR's Steve Kraske what the breakup of the group means for Missouri politics. Here's their conversation edited for length. 
Why is this group disbanding? What they said was that the results of these GOP primaries across the state showed that their political position, their ideology, their agenda um, was winning. You know, they were widely presumed to have gained a couple members um, through these competitive primaries. They were going to come back stronger than they were last year. And so publicly what they're saying is, you know, we feel like we've won this, that our agenda is the one that Republicans should pursue. Um, that's what the voters want. And so as a, a symbol, as a peace offering, I guess, of sorts, um, they're disbanding the caucus so that Republicans can try to unite. Of course, there's some caveats in there, but, but that's the general message that they're sending out. How successful were conservative candidates in, in the primaries for the state Senate, Jason? Well, the conservative caucus and the PAC that was supporting them got involved in um, four different races, um, won all four of those races. The conservative caucus itself didn't back, but some of its members backed a challenger to an incumbent down in uh, Jasper County, Bill White of Joplin. And uh, rare that an incumbent state senator loses when they run for re-election. He did, was defeated by someone who's said publicly she would align with the conservative caucus. And so, you know, they left last year with about six or seven members. They were expected to come back with maybe nine, maybe ten, depending on how things broke down. But um, a significant chunk of the Republican caucus in the Senate was going to give them a lot more power um, in the chamber when we reconvene in January. So run down uh, the numbers for us. How many conservative members are in the state Senate now? How many more moderate members on the Republican side are there? Well, if, every, if all the seats, re- seats remain in control of the party that currently holds them, which is always a big if, you never know what could happen this fall, but most of these seats are um, considered pretty strongly Republican seats. Um, the likely breakdown would be 15 senators that would align with Republican leadership, nine who would kind of more align with the conservative caucus, and then 10 Democrats. Um, and if Pat's prologue, if that was to come to be, and there was this still this sort of three-party fissure within the Senate, Democrats would be the kingmakers. Uh, if they joined with the conservative caucus, they would have a majority. And if they sided with GOP leadership, they could push the conservative caucus back. And so they were sort of the the swing votes on a lot of these big issues. And, you know, they'll be the first to tell you they're the reason a lot of the big ticket items got done over the last couple of years. You know, just to give our listeners a sense of how bad, how deep the acrimony was in the state Senate this last spring, uh, the Senate actually adjourned a day early uh, leading up to final adjournment. They, They left. And that has never happened, at least in decades, right? You have all these bills that are backed up, waiting passage on the final day, and the state Senate wasn't even in session to address those bills. That's right. This is this will be the first time this year, was the first time that uh, the Senate adjourned early since the fixed adjournment date was set in the state constitution back in 1952. So, you know, since we've been adjourning at a set time, the Senate has always shown up on the last day. And you know, it all came down to, you know, the, the Republican leadership and the Democrats wanted to get a redistricting map done, the new congressional maps, which is something that they had fought with the conservative caucus with all session. Right. Uh, they finally had enough, started using procedural moves to get it onto the floor for debate. Um, and they knew once that was over, there really wasn't anything else they could do. Like the place was broken. Uh, relationships were kind of shattered. There was no more that they could accomplish. And so they just went home um, and the House finished up their work on the other side of the building the next day. But the, yeah, the Senate went home and uh, sort of says everything about how this 
session went this year. Which issues did the caucus clash most often um, over with, with Senate leadership besides the, the congressional redistricting map, Jason? Throughout the session, they were trying to add amendments to otherwise sort of non-controversial bills that would do things like ban critical race theory mm. or uh, target transgender athletes in, in high school, um, you know, obscene materials, you know, things like, uh, you know, banning certain books from school libraries. You know, these are the sort of issues that the conservative caucus was hoping they could get uh, onto the floor for debate. But instead of kind of these bills working their way through the process, they were trying to put them on as amendments to, again, bills that otherwise would have been somewhat non-controversial, which, of course, aggravated the Republican sponsors of those bills, because now they had this what they would consider a poison pill that was going to cause the Democrats to stand up and filibuster some of their own members of their party to stand up and, and try to kill it. Um, and it, it really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Now, now the conservatives caucus would have would tell you. They didn't feel like they had any other choice. Their bills were stuck in committee or weren't getting floor time. So it really was a matter of just nobody trusting anybody's uh, motives um, and everybody sort of accusing everybody of of political grandstanding. That was Missouri Independent Editor-in-Chief Jason Hancock and KCUR's Steve Kraske. You can find their entire conversation from up to date at kcur.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Laura's story on social workers in Jackson County, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. Last year, the KCUR podcast, A People's History of Kansas City, told the story of the man behind Kansas City's iconic barbecue, Henry Perry. And since then, the story just keeps getting bigger and bigger. When you talk about Kansas City barbecue history, I mean, a lot of people, that's the pivotal rivalry, right? Join the podcast team for a behind-the-scenes look at the episode Thursday, September 1st. Get your tickets at kcur.org slash events.